Well, hello, everyone. I'm Adam. I'm a pastor here at Providence Community Church. Pastor Bud is our other pastor. He is in the ark with the kiddos. I'm glad that you've joined us. Summer's upon us. I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad that we're not sweating like crazy. I always forget that June kind of surprises me. Um, every time I'm in Texas, grown up here, I always think that June is going to be brutal. And then the first couple weeks are pretty good, and I'm feeling pretty good. And then it just slaps me across the face. And by that, I really mean like my armpits and back because I sweat, y'all. But so far, so good. God is with us. He loves us still. We're not brutally hot. Hey, before we get going, um, I'd invite you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is our second look at deacons, the role of deacons in the Big C Church and the Little C Church Providence. Um, this is a different kind of time for us this evening. It's less of a sermon and more of a State of the Union kind of talking to us um, about this office that we've not really talked about before. And then at the end of uh, this teaching time, we will present um, three more candidates out of the seven that we have brought forward uh, to serve as deacons within our church. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had four others, and tonight we have three. So thank you for being here, and we will talk about deacons in just a moment as you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, before we start, I would like to mention um, that the Kiesler Home, the orphanage that we support and had just recently sent $8,000 to that we had raised in the six weeks following Easter in the season of Pentecost, that court date that I told you about and I told you that it was moved, well actually they're hearing the case of a land dispute tomorrow, our time. Monday, I, th I thought the 6th, but I thought you were saying something about Sunday. Yes. Yes. See, here's the tricky thing, okay? We're not in Bungoma, Kenya. So it's their time Monday, our time tomorrow. So what would bless me and the 56 orphans that you all have partnered with to love and serve uh, would really need your prayers tomorrow. Um, it has been a very tough season for uh, Sid and Kathy and Robin, um, but we're just praying that God's will would be done in this place. And Kathy told me so long ago that if it doesn't go the way we want it to go and that we've been asking for it to go, Kathy said that she will trust that God saw something in the weeks ahead that we just couldn't. And we're going to trust him no matter what happens. But would you join me in these moments? Let's pray again for the Kiesler home, these orphans, um, because uh, we are going to ask that, uh, that it would go in our favor. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing these orphans into our lives, even though it seems like we're such a small part of their lives because we're so far away. Uh, we know that in these weeks, their faces you've etched on, their, on our hearts as we prayed for them and begged you to move and provide for them and to give them everything they need. So Lord, what we sense they need is that home to persist and that it be guided by the right hands, not the hands that are trying to take it away. So we ask, Lord, that this court would find favorably in the, the favor of those 11 workers, of the, the directors who want to see those kids nurtured and loved in a Christ-centered, 
incredible loving environment. We pray that this relationship would not end. And so, Lord, we're coming together and asking that your will would be done, but we're also begging you that, that it would just be a good decision and that it would be a speedy decision because it has been such a long and, and uh, difficult process thus far. So we just ask for resolution and we ask for your kingdom to break in and that all would be well because all we care about and we know that your heart cares about those 56 orphans. So we pray for their good and we pray that you would meet them and that you would just work mightily in this situation. Please remind us tomorrow through your Holy Spirit to pray for the Kiesler home in Bungoma and we surrender and trust you in all things and in all ways and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Please pray again tomorrow, uh, Dallas time. All right, so if you're in 1 Timothy 3, I'm going to talk for a few moments, part two of the who of deacons. Who are they to be? And so one of the things that we've seen is that whether you're a deacon or a pastor or a Christian in general, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are never above service. We said a leadership quote that I don't know who said it, but it was really powerful for me. It's an anonymous quote that says, In the kingdom of God, if serving is beneath you, then leadership is above you. So we are, whether leaders in this church, leaders in our homes, leaders in our community, or simple just followers of Jesus Christ, service is the way of the kingdom, is the way of Jesus. You're never promoted or above service. Why? Because Jesus said he came not to be served, but to serve. And so I think about a show, a reality show. I'm not one for reality shows, but how many of you have seen Undercover Boss? Have you seen Undercover Boss? There's like an undercover boss in every English-speaking country in the world. There's different versions of Undercover Boss. So I saw Undercover Boss, and for those of you who don't know, you take a CEO of a powerful company. I saw one here locally in, from 7-Eleven, and the CEO of 7-Eleven moves down from the corner office, and because it's a goofy <laughs> network reality show, they've got to disguise him, right? So they have this montage of the transformation. So if you had seen the CEO of 7-Eleven on Forbes, well, give him a nice Groucho Marx mask and you won't be able to tell him. Why? Because they take him, they disguise him, and they send him to an entry-level position within the company. So the CEO of 7-Eleven moved from the corner office and he went down to some 7-Eleven in like North Fort Worth and he put on the 7-Eleven t-shirt, he put on the 7-Eleven badge with a fake name and he stood behind a counter and he actually sat on the ground floor of this multi-million dollar corporation and actually served customers donuts and coffee and Snickers bars. And he does this for a week. And then they want to also send him in a truck at 4 a.m. Because there's drama to be had at 4 a.m. Because they want to see this guy squirm, right? Because the, the thought is that CEOs with their nice suits, their nice offices, their nice expense accounts, their nice cars, it is so beneath them, right? And so the irony is that they eventually 
get to go back to the corner office and they get to invite the other entry-level employees they've worked with. Have you seen this? They sit down with them and they say, surprise, I was the CEO the whole time. Here's a Disney World vacation for working so hard. Yes? Well, they reward the people that have done well. And I think in extreme cases, I'm told that some people, hey, you're done because you shouldn't treat anyone this way and surprise, I'm the CEO, and you certainly shouldn't treat me this way. But eventually, the CEO goes back to the corner office, and uh, evidently, he's learned a life lesson that service should not be beneath them. And he gets to see how things are done on the ground level. Well, in the kingdom of God, as I said earlier, you never get promoted above serving. And what's distinctly kingdom and, and distinctly different about the church, rather than the CEO global world, is that servants, even the highest ones, are called to Take, like Jesus did, the proverbial towel, wrap it around our waist, bend down, and do even the most menial tasks. Christian leaders are servant leaders. There is no corner office. The way up is down. The way for upward mobility is downward mobility. Because why? The one we follow said he came not to be served, but to serve. Now, why am I talking about this word serve, serve, serve? Because the word deacon is the Greek word for server. So do you know that of the two offices in the church, number one is a pastor or elder or overseer, or maybe your Bible says bishop. They are a shepherd in this thing. That's the first one. The second one is the deacon. And it is a fancy word for basically a waiter. Two weeks ago, we looked at the origin of this office, this serving office, and they were brought up and commissioned and called out as godly servant leaders, what? To wait on tables, to care for the needy, to care for the least. Why? Because you are never in the kingdom of God promoted beyond serving. So deacons, pastors, whoever you are, you are a servant leader. And so who these servant leaders are is just as or more important as what these people do. Our deacons will not wait on tables, but our deacons will be facilitators of ministry. They are the ones, as we've said before, they minister with their hands. So we have a lot of people and a lot of time in contact with people who are poor and in need. We have widows in our church that we keep contact with, that we check on. These are deacon-type ministries. We live in our shared neighborhood of Garland. It is not an up-and-coming, affluent, white kind of suburban area, right? Which means this is a great mosaic of what the kingdom of God truly looks like because you have all different sorts of people in all different sorts of tax brackets. And we are not just here to serve the needs in this space, but even to go out and show the kind of serving king that Jesus showed us to go and even wash the feet of those we've not yet met beyond our walls. Deacons will help us facilitate this ministry and they'll help free up the ministry because if deacons serve with their hands, the pastors are freed up, as we saw in Acts 6, to minister with their words. Now, I'm a pastor and I am not above 
going to Walmart tomorrow and buying a bunch of junk for rockin' summer. Why? Because I'm awesome? No, because we all need to pull our weight. And I hate Walmart, but you know what? I'll serve you and go to Walmart. We all need to serve and equip the body and do what we need to do. But one of the ways that helps me remember, because I am not, by God's grace, a Christian celebrity. There are no such thing as Christian celebrity pastors. And so I have a necklace that helps keep me awake to this, that we're never promoted beyond stacking chairs and cleaning up communion. We are always to serve Words, hands, or the other. And so I have this necklace that Pope Francis, right? If there was to be a Christian celebrity, it would be Pope Francis. Each pope has a cross, a papal cross, that is in some way to signify their ministry or their calling. And Pope Francis, even though you'll see it sometimes in an ornate gold and beautiful scepter, his is a hammered out, rough-hewn shepherd. It's a shepherd with sheep. And it's so powerful that the Christian celebrity par excellence chose for his symbol in the worldwide Catholic Church, not one of power over people, but power under someone coming up and shepherding and serving. This is what Christian leadership is about. And this is why I've spent so much time on the front end talking about service and servant leadership. Because as we see tonight in 1 Timothy, when Paul gives instructions to a new church, a young church, to a young pastor, he says, your elders, your shepherds, And your deacons must be through and through modeling the character of Jesus, our servant king, who is a shepherd who came and found the lost sheep, who came for the sick, not just for the well. We need to model this. So, as a recap from last week, as we begin in 1 Timothy, I want to show you what a deacon is. You'll see this on the screen. A deacon is first and foremost a servant leader. And then secondly, it's a servant of godly character. This is what we're really drilling down into tonight. As I said just a moment ago, it's a servant who ministers with his or her hands. Yes, I said her. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And then a servant who facilitates ministry within the church. And a servant, this is that crucial piece. Why does this character matter? Why are we never above what our servant king chose to do in serving, well, they model a Christ-like life within the community. These are people who are always willing and always going out and getting things done and serving the least and serving the ministry functions within the church. So the central point as we come to our text in 1 Timothy 3, beginning in chapter 8, is that these leaders must be tested and found to look like Jesus. Because if service is beneath you, then a deacon or pastorate or serving with our kids or serving uh, at the rock or serving at our calling, man, that is above you. We come in this church with a power under to lift people up rather than a sense of superiority over to put people down. We follow Jesus. So these people must be tested and found to look like Jesus. What do those qualifications or character look like? Look with me at 1 Timothy 3 chapter, uh, verse 8, excuse me. He's just given to young Timothy in this young church in Ephesus the qualifications for pastors. Now in verse 8, he says this, deacons likewise must be serious. 
not double-tongued, not indulging in much wine, not greedy for money, and they must hold fast to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. In the next slide, we're going to itemize these and show you what it looks like. This is the first set of qualifications. What are they to look like? How are they modeling in our community the character of our servant King Jesus? So Jared, if you'll go to that next slide, here's the list we're looking at here in these next few moments. Now that first one is be serious. A deacon must be serious. Now, if you've met the seven candidates that we're putting before you, have you met Robert Vaughn? Is that dude got a serious bone in his body? No, but let me tell you something. He is serious about loving others and serving no matter what, no matter when, and no matter how. So what might he mean serious? Well, that's a word that's honorable or respectable. Okay, These are people in our community and in the church at large who are respectable. What Pastor Bud and I say often, whether you're a missional community leader, a deacon, or a pastor, is if we put somebody up in front of this church and we say, see so-and-so, we are presenting them to you to serve as leader A, B, or C. We want our people to say, oh yeah, of course, that's a no-brainer. This is what Bud and I are talking about all the time. We want our people who are living into leadership. And these people are respectable. They're no-brainers. And this is what he means. They are serious. So the question there is, are they respected in the community? How do we test them? Are they respected in the community? Next, you see this not double-tongued. What does he mean by that? Maybe in our culture today, we'd say two-faced, right? This is here, it's a unique phrase here uh, that basically is, he says one thing to you on Monday and then he goes on Tuesday and he says another thing to somebody else. His tongue is going here, there, and there. And these are people who are not saying one thing to one or one thing to another or they're not people who are manipulative, trying to get in a situation of power over people, thinking that to be a deacon means they can have some status. So what they're doing is manipulating. They say one thing, but they mean another. We want people who are honest. So how are we testing the double tongue? Well, are these people honest? Are they saying what they mean? Jesus said, let your yes be yes, your no be no. So the third thing, they must not be heavy drinkers. Notice that Paul says, don't drink. Make sure they're not drinking. What he's saying is they must not indulge in too much wine. They must not get drunk. Now, drinking is not a sin. It's not contrary to life in the kingdom. But getting drunk sure is. Why? Because you are controlled by something other than the Spirit of God in you. And so they must not be heavy drinkers. This is a big problem in our culture today. It was a huge problem in their culture then. Think about it. We have a nice municipal water system. They did not have very much clean water rolling around uh, early Asia or the Palestine area. So they drank a lot of wine. And so what was supposed to mark the kingdom communities was that when they got together and lifted the cup in the name of Jesus, they didn't drain it. Nobody was saying, shots, 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 shots. The kingdom meals and the kingdom communities are marked by life in Christ, not life of wild debauchery. 
This is the clear teaching of the New Testament, and our servant leaders in the church must be held to that standard. Why? Because if they were seen being crazy at some kind of dinner or party, did it just reflect badly on them? It reflected badly on their extended family. And so this is why that character is so important. So are they responsible enough? It doesn't say don't drink. It says knows when to stop. Are they responsible? Then you see not greedy. This is huge because we see um, a lot of deacons um, are the handlers of the money. In Acts chapter 6, we looked at a couple weeks ago. Do you remember I told you they were waiting on tables? They were also distributing resources to widows and those in need. Can you just imagine what gets churches so tripped up in this day and the day then, if not money? You see it all the time in the news. Here's another pastor mishandling funds. A church that I'm aware of, that I had worked in previously... We could not have church credit cards because one of the pastors was running up outrageous bills and not showing anything for it or receipts. Pastors and deacons are not immune to this. This is why it's so vitally important they're tested and they're found worthy. Our deacons, like we see in the history of the church, will probably transfer our benevolence fund to them. In our church, and you're always welcome to give and mark benevolence, Every single week, we are helping families within and without who are in need of financial help. And we have a pretty good stack of money to meet those needs, whether it's Garland Tornado or I can't pay my electricity bill, or because of the hailstorm, my car and my house got jacked. We want to help because this is the example we see in Acts, and we see deacons helping minister with their hands. So we can't be having greedy people if we're going to turn over finances there. Now, then we see this interesting and beautiful phrase that he said earlier in 1 Timothy. And y'all see that? Hold on to the faith with a clear conscience. N.T. Wright, who is the N.T. scholar of this and many generations to come, probably one of the greatest we've had and will see for a long time, he says, think of a vase, when you think of this phrase, what he's saying is they're holding on to the faith. It's a vase that's not leaking. It's solid. And it's also a vase that won't topple. It's someone who is so rooted in the gospel and who has been transformed by the gospel. Deacons hold on tight. They're formed. They're not leaky in the faith. They're set on Jesus. And they're also transformed by the gospel. They're faithful to Jesus as king. So, these people need to be tested. Look at verse 10. Here's the central point. And let them first be tested. So, are they all of these things? Have they lived into leadership? Is this a surprise for anyone? Let them be tested. And if they prove themselves blameless, now read here, not perfect, but consistent, let them serve as deacons. Jared, this is on the slide. This is our process, which many of you have seen. This is for um, our deacons this summer. We're presenting these seven to you. This is not a just Pastor Adam and Pastor Bud kind of testing. 
This is a, are you seeing this? I'm assuming yes, otherwise we would not be presenting them to you. We're seeing this, so we present them to you. We hear from them, we pray for them, and then this summer, for the next two months, we're going to be meeting regularly together. We're going to be reading together. We're going to be praying together. We're going to do an interview with them. Now, I have talked to every one of these people for hours on end. But what we'll do is set into an intentional space with them and their spouse if they're married. And we're going to talk about some intentional ways where they've been, and where they're headed. So this is the preparation season. And then finally, late August or early September, we'll ordain them. And uh, if they've been ordained in the past, then we'll commission them for service in our church. So I told you this was more of a teaching and kind of in-house thing. I want to keep you guys in the loop as to what's happening. Because someday, we'll probably add another pastor to this church. And they'll go through a similar period of testing Presentation, preparation, ordination. So, he, he goes on and we have a sticky wicket in verse 11 that we've got to address. He says, women likewise must be serious, not slanderers, but temperate, faithful in all things. Now, the sticky wicket here is that this word, the only word that shows up there is women. Now, how many of you have an NIV? Or an ESV. I usually, 90% of the time, am preaching out of the NIV. Now, what translators have done in our Bibles, and we need to understand this. We don't need to be freaked out by this, but we need to understand that sometimes Bible translators have to make choices. And so when they see just the word women, the choice that they have is, well, what does he mean women? Because you have two choices. You can say the women, as in the women deacons, or like the NIV and the ESV, you say and add in our English Bibles one little word, and that is there. T-H-E-I-R. Whose Bible says their wives? They see the word women, and so they say, ah, this must be talking about men who are deacons, and likewise their wives must be serious and etc. Now, the word there is just women. And I'm inclined for several reasons, as so many in the church are inclined, as well as so many in the church are not inclined, to see that he is talking about women who are deacons. Now, people who love Jesus in the church and who we can partner with and serve with think women should not be deacons. But I'm inclined to think they can serve as deacons. Number one, because that word their women or their wives isn't there. Then you look at the similarity in verse 11. Look with me at your Bibles. Women likewise must be. You see the similarity there as you do in verse 8. Deacons likewise must be. And you see the similarity there is verse 2. Now a bishop must be. You have another train of thought where Paul is rattling off and saying, hey, your pastors must be. And then, by the way, your deacons must be. And by the way, the women deacons must be. 
And here's what I mean by that. If you look carefully, Bible students, in our next slide here, you'll see in that new section talking about women some parallels to what he just said about deacons. And so you see, they must be serious, they must not be slanderers, they must be temperate, which could apply to both the drinking and the money. And then they're faithful in all things. But if you're not convinced as I am, I would refer you to Romans chapter 16, verse 1. Paul, who wrote to Timothy in Ephesus, wrote to a different culture in a different city in Rome. And in Romans 16.1, he says, I commend to you Phoebe, no bones about it, girl's name, a deacon at the church. And he goes on and tells about how great she is. And here's what's funny. Well, what does he mean, deacon? Because didn't you say that's just a server, a waiter word? Well, he used the boy word for deacon, which signifies he uses the office official, capital D, deacon Phoebe word. And because we've seen in Galatians chapter 3, in Christ, all the divisions, male, female, Jew, Greek, slave, free, all that stuff that divides us out there doesn't divide us in here anymore. In our church, we believe that offices or roles or leadership is for people who are of character and gifts, not because of their gender. We let women preach in this church because I learn and, and, and value the wisdom of half of the world's population. And so we just see in the kingdom of God, those divisions are no longer binding within this church. So, Finally, he moves down to two more characteristics, and this deals with all of their families as we close this section here. He says, let deacons be married only once, which is to say they're faithful to one spouse if they're married. So not like you blew it if you're divorced. It's, it's sometimes read like a one-woman man or a, perhaps a one-husband woman. Are you faithful to one spouse? And it says um, they manage their children and households well. Are they loving and caring and overseeing their household, their family, their people? If they treat them okay, you can imagine they're treating the extended family okay. Y'all still with me? Those are the characteristics. Those are the kinds of model for the servant leaders in the vein of our servant king. Now, he says, a deacon will, as we close this time in verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You know what's cool about deacons or these servants who, Lord willing, will be deacons? They don't serve to be in good standing. They serve because service is in their DNA. And they don't serve because they want to get the glory. They follow Jesus who left the glory and went down to the entry level behind the counter at 7-Eleven to serve others. That's the kingdom difference. And that's what our deacons are called to. And we didn't talk about it last time, but Stephen, who was a deacon that was ordained, tested, a godly servant leader in Acts 6, was 
bold, as he says here, in Christ Jesus, to go and speak of Jesus, the servant king, who laid down his life for the world, and it led him to be laid down and become the first martyr. The first martyr in the Christian church, killed for his faith in Jesus, was a deacon. And I think that is so powerful and such a testimony to how big service is as we follow our servant king. So I want to introduce to you uh, people you already know. Uh, would you welcome with me our three other deacon candidates, Toby Brooks, Aaron Sarkis, and Sid Kiesler, if y'all will come on up. So what I asked them to do is to just briefly, in a minute or two, uh, share with these prompts. These are our other deacons that you heard from. Um, Brendan Vaughn, Robert's son, just graduated this afternoon. So give him a big old high five and slap on the back when you see him. And um, so these are our three tonight. And I asked them to tell us a bit about how they came to faith in Jesus uh, for all of us to hear. And then tell us about their call to serve this body, this community, as a deacon. So, who's up first? Mm, this is gold star servant number one, yeah? <laughs> Take notes. Okay, well, my name is Toby Brooks, and um, just to give you a little background on me, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church and grew up in a family where that stuff stayed in the church. And... We went to restaurants that were outside of our town so my dad could drink a beer with his lunch and that type of thing. I think a lot of people relate to that type of life. And my parents are great and everything. But um, I always really had this two sides of me. This like, my mom was a super feminist and she's like, you can do anything you want to do. And I just kind of grew into this person without even realizing that we were supposed to fit into certain kind of boxes. I just always did my own thing. And then there was this other side of me that just really, really, really wanted to please God and do exactly what God told me to do. If he could write a handbook for my life, I would have done everything in that handbook. And you could say, well, the handbook's the Bible, but there's lots of gray area there. We know this. So, you know, I grew up in church, and I was really serious about church. Um, I wouldn't say I was serious about Jesus um, until, really, God, God kind of wove in me learning who Jesus was through high school, through college. And then I came to Providence and I was 25 years old and I heard the gospel as a powerful kingdom message and it all just clicked. Like all these Bible stories that I had stored in my brain, God just used all that and made it so real to me that I could never turn away. Um, and so I don't, you know, I'm not really sure when I became a Christian. I know I forever was going to be a part of the kingdom um, about almost 12 years ago. So as I served in Providence, if you were in Providence 12 years ago, you didn't have a choice but to pick up your own chair because that's just how we did it. Um, but it's kind of funny because setting out communion and doing candles, that's what I was doing 12 years ago. Um, and it was fun. It was fun then. It's fun now. And, um, I love all that stuff. Um, becoming a deacon to me is, okay, so when I 
was growing up, I heard this God's will. What is God's will for your life? Find out what God's will is. And I'm like, if he would just call me on the telephone and tell me, I will do it. Like I was a people pleaser. I was that teacher's pet. And I wanted to do what the right thing was. Um, I just didn't always know what it was. But, um, you know, I realized, and this really became from some really godly wisdom shown from some older people in the church at the time, that God's will for your life is not really a a big mystery. Like where you're going to go and be in 10 years, that is nothing compared to are you going to be nice to people today? How are you going to deal with people that are mean to you? That, honestly, spend your whole life doing that, and that's all we could really, you know, I mean, that's like your whole life right there. So um, I started really from years ago, really just started having this burning thing in my heart about really wanting to be committed to this church and serving um, and serving the people and just serving kind of the flow of the church and all these things that you see and working with the kids. And for me, I get so much enjoyment out of it. So many of you have given me way more than I could ever give to you. Y'all are my family. And it's kind of like you, I feel like you'd never ask a mom, like, why do you clean your kid's dirty diaper? Isn't that gross? Well, you just would, like, you would never let your kid just sit around in a dirty diaper if you're a good mom, I guess. I don't know. Um, and that's kind of how I feel about this church. Like, I will clean y'all's dirty diapers, not literally, but, um, like, I love that. That's, that is, has become who I am. It was not always who I was. Um, but God has really kind of woven my talents, and I've been able to kind of discover, like, how to use my talents in the church and discovered new talents. Because let me tell you, I was the shyest kid, even in high school. I never would have thought I could even get up here and talk in front of this room, let alone more people. So I know I'm speaking for longer than I'm supposed to. That I have a habit of doing that if I get a microphone in my hand. So we're about, I'm about to start a sermon here in a second, but no, not really. But I just want to say, like, I really do consider it an honor to be able to serve this church And it is a vulnerable place to be in because you kind of put yourself as like, well, you know, I know how bad I am way more than y'all do. So I appreciate any grace or prayer that y'all can give me. Um, So thank you, Aaron. All right. Well, um, so I had a video up here a few months ago. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but uh, I'm, I'm a relatively new Christian. I've only been a Christian for about four or five years. Um, so that, that's kind of the history on me. I've, I've never really been, actually, let me back up. I don't really like the word Christian, and that's not a shot at anybody that does, but like Christian's been, like in this day and age, it's been like dragged through the mud. It's been politicized. It's been watered down. Like, you know, when you called yourself a Christian in the first century, it could get you killed, you know. So I, I like to call myself, you know, a follower of Christ. Um, you know, there, that cuts through all the fat. That cuts through you know, well, Christians should feel like this. They should vote this way, X, Y, Z. Well, I mean, you know, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, that's when I first started taking it seriously. About four or five years ago, um, I was baptized in this church um, on January 11th of 2014. That was, that was the official, you know, whatever you want to make of that. But I started coming. I met my wife. Um, she planted a little seed in me. I thought I knew what it was to be a Christian. Uh, there I go, using that word again. But 
Uh, yeah, so I, I met my wife. She planted a little seed in me, and, and other people in this community have, have watered it, um, you know, people that are, are not here now and, and people that are, are still here. And I feel myself uh, just blossoming and growing just... Uh, I don't know. It's it's just it's it's something real weird. I would have I really would have made fun of myself like five years ago, ten years ago, for the person I am now. Because I, I just it's just really weird. Uh, but yeah, I look back at at the person I was, and and I was really man, I was lost, and um, I I didn't really I didn't really have a direction in life. I thought I knew, you know, I was de- relying on my wisdom, man's wisdom. I, I really had no regard for God, the Bible you know, a community full of, of Christ worshipers. Um, so, like I said, over these last four or five years, I've, I've kind of found myself. And uh, one of the quotes that really kind of hit me was, uh, if you hold on just a second, sorry, was um, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. So that's what this, that's what this, this um, office means to me. Um, it's, you know, I was very, I was humbled. I was shocked when Adam asked me, um, you know, I, I don't, I, I've never aspired to anything like this. I think it's great, but it's, it's also not going to change any, how I feel about y'all, how I serve. It's probably going to make me, you know, open to, to more service for y'all. So, um, like Toby said, I'm, I'm, it's just something in me that's just, uh, man, it's, it's just got a hold of me where I just want to, I just want to serve and I want to glorify the name of Jesus, like whether I'm buying a pack of gum or whether I'm helping somebody remodel their house or whatever y'all need. Um, and like I said, I would have made fun of myself 10 years ago because that is such a nerdy <laughs> VBS statement. But, man, I, and I, it's, it's really, it's, so, anyway, um, yeah, short but sweet. So I'm going to give it to you now. Uh, I'm Sid Kiesler. Uh, I was uh, uh, grew up in a small town in East Texas. Uh, small is uh, when I graduated, it was about 600 people in a town. Uh, so uh, both my parents were Christian. Uh, our Sunday routine was to go to church in the morning and go to church at, uh, in Sunday morning and Sunday night. Uh, so when I was uh, 10 years old, there was a very gifted pastor that came to our church to be our uh, pastor for a while. And he, was, he had a very effective way to present the gospel in a very appealing and convincing way. And a year later, uh, I made a public profession to, for Christ uh, to be my Savior. Uh, so, you know, with every journey you go on, there's uh, mountaintop and valley experiences. And um, so I would say uh, about six years ago, uh, I began a mountaintop experience. Uh, Kathy, Robin, Ray, and I uh, embarked upon uh, starting a new community church. And... Uh, um, my, uh, so this church, um, one of the focuses was people living on the margin. And we kind of defined that as folks that 
had uh, previously been homeless and they were living in shelters or they had moved out of shelters living in subsidized housing. So uh, the, the role I took in the church is I facilitated and taught uh, Bible study on Sunday morning and I drove a 15-passenger van. Our, our church bought a 15-passenger a van. And so uh, typically I would leave uh, our home at 7.30 a.m. and begin my route. And I would first start picking up those folks that had uh, emerged out of the homeless shelters. And then I would go and pick up at uh, Salvation Army, Dallas Life, and the bridge. And so we'd come to church. I would facilitate the, the Bible study, and we'd have the service. And in following service, we generally always had a meal. And then I would uh, reverse the process. And uh, so uh, my typical Sunday is I would get home about 3 p.m. So Sundays were a, a long day. Uh, but uh, I really felt it was, I felt a real sense of, gratification uh, because I felt I was doing, um, I was fulfilling uh, the gift and role that, that uh, uh, God had placed before me. So uh, <clears throat> Kathy and I have been members of a few uh, churches um, and uh, over, the, over the period of times when the deacon candidacy was presented, I never had any interest in it. Um, I would either, um, well, um, I just didn't want to be considered. And uh, the reason for that is I always viewed uh, the role of the deacon as an honorary position, sort of um, to be respected or look up after uh, kind of the ruling body of the church in a many in many cases and that just didn't have appeal to me so uh, a few weeks ago <coughs> excuse me uh, brother bud uh, approached me and uh, asked if i would be willing to be considered as a candidate and i told him i, I kind of expressed my hesitancy and he said, well, let me, let me explain to you what the role of a deacon would be in Providence Church. And so he, he, he did that, took, took the time to explain that. And then he said, would you think about it? And I said, yeah, I'll think about it. And so I started thinking about it. And I started thinking about Pastor Bud. Uh, Here's a guy that devotes so many hours every day to this church. And he neither des des desires or wants recognition. And I said, man, now that exemplifies uh, servanthood. And you know, I think Pastor Bud and Pastor Adam need some help. And I want to be one of those helpers. So then in a few days, Pastor Bud called, and he says, have you been thinking about it? 
And I said, thinking about what? <laughs> he said, uh, being considered as a candidate uh, to be a deacon. And I said, uh, yes, I have. And I would like to, to be considered as a candidate. So if I am selected as a deacon, I would like to try to use my two spiritual gifts, which are service and hospitality. Thank you very much. Thank you, and thank you, church. Um, Sid, I know you just sat down, but Toby, Aaron, and Sid, would you stand? Um, and church, would you join me in praying? You can remain seated. But uh, like we did a couple weeks ago, I'm going to pray over them uh, this beautiful hymn of Christ's humility found in Philippians chapter 2. So let us pray these words over these people as they with the four others begin this season of preparation for what God has called them to within this community. So let us pray these words of Holy Scripture in Philippians. Lord, we ask that they would do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility that they would regard others as better than themselves. We pray that each of them would look not to their own interests, but to the interests of others. And we ask, Lord, that the same mind would be in them that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited but rather he emptied himself taking the form of a slave being born in human likeness and being found in human form he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Lord, bless them, help them, equip them, keep them in this season and in all the days you give them. We ask all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Holy Spirit lead you to the lost, the looking and the left out, and when you find them, serve them, because the Son of God came not to be served, but to serve. That is the kingdom difference. Go in peace.